Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for this, this text tonight. We thank you for our journey with Jesus in the book of Hebrews and the great things we've learned about Jesus and the great things we have learned about uh, our faith thus far. Lord, it's been really, it's been really kind of interesting to, to see ourselves in the three students, the, uh, the yeah, but the, the weary and the clay and, and Lord, to, to receive the challenges that we need to receive, just like that first century church that received this, this letter uh, from an unnamed author needed that challenge as well. So we just thank you for this time we get tonight. I thank you again for these men and women, for the journey we're all on together. And uh, we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Okay, so we are in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to go, we're going to start in verse 14. And we're going to go to chapter 5, verse 14. And our opening, we have opening tension. Okay, because where we left off last week, there was tension there. And what is that tension? Well, it's in 4 verse 13, one verse prior. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, which, by the way, is either very encouraging or very terrifying. If you're somebody that never gets noticed and you wished you were to get noticed, like maybe you were doing good things and no one ever mentions your service, and it'd be nice to get an attaboy or an girl every once in a while, just know nothing is hidden from God's sight. If you're the kind of person that is a hider, and that wants to hide, and that likes that likes to sin in secret, and likes everything to be hidden, that verse is terrifying. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. The ancient Jewish rabbis pictured God almost like Mordor, the all-seeing eye. They just see, He sees everything. And the verse continues, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So already that verse is like double terrifying. Number one, I'm not getting away with anything. And number two, I have to give an account of how I live my life. And it's very tempting at that point to crawl inside yourself and say, well, what hope do I have? I mean, I'm toast. I've got nothing here. On my own, it's like the Bible's clear. All my good deeds are like filthy rags. I mean, I've got nothing to offer here. And even as a Christian, you're, you're left wondering, going, golly, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I just, I know I belong to Jesus, but I, I mean, uh, my, my life, it, it's very difficult. There's a tension there. You're like, but wait, and the, the, the other part of the tension is you're like, well, wait a minute. Why am I giving an account? Why am I having to fess up before God? I thought I belonged to Jesus. I thought on the cross it's like we want to toss 1 John 1, 9 at God and say, no, wait a minute. I've confessed my sins. You are faithful and just, and you're going to forgive my sins, and you're going to cleanse me from. So wait a minute, God. Why are these sins coming back up again? Why, why do I have to give an account? See the tension there. It's like, it's, it's even, even like those of us who are very, very astute theologically, we were like, no, wait a minute. Now, we understand that, that, that we get, kind of get a both and there. If we are in Christ, that sin is paid for. But it's still in God's books. 
there's still an accounting. And even if that accounting is a not guilty kind of accounting, it's still, so it kind of has to hold us back a little bit. We just can't live this life willy nilly. We can't just be a Christian and say, well, I just can sin all I want because it's all scot-free, right? It reminds me when I was a long time ago when I went up to a camp and I found out they had uh, a good little canteen. It, was, it wasn't a camp any of you probably have been to. It was up in the UP. And I was at this camp and I, I, went, I went to the, the canteen because I, I was really hungry and surprised. And I got up there and I said, you know, I just really want something chocolate. And they said, well, I'll tell you what. Would you like a Choco Taco? And I said, I've never had a Choco Taco. Well, that sounds awesome. A chocolate taco. Oh, my goodness. That sounds great. And they said, well, you're, I was reaching for my pocket to bring out some money. They said, good news. An anonymous donor came in and paid for the next four hours of Choco Tacos. So they're free. And I said, well, wait a minute. Does that mean I can have more than one? They said, you sure can. We have a number we reach, and then all of a sudden we have to pay for them again. So I had a couple Choco Tacos and I went to clean some bathrooms or whatever I was doing at camp, I was serving. And then I got done. I'm like, you know, I wonder if the Choco Tacos are still free. Maybe, maybe there's a few left. And sure enough, there were. I got another Choco Taco. I was ready for it. And some of us are that way with sin. We're thinking, now, wait a minute. We sing the hymn, Jesus paid it all. And we're thinking it's paid for. So now I get to have fun, right? I got to have something as a Christian. I get to have fun. No, 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 no. Just because there's grace, Paul would, would say, doesn't mean we get to keep sinning. It's not a carte blanche license to sin kind of thing. There's a tension there. Everything is still seen. So what do we do? Well, the answer is in chapter 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So you'll notice on the page here, 14 to 16 is repeated. Because... 14 to 16 talks about the answer, and then it talks about our responses. So let's talk about the answer. Jesus is our high priest. What in the world's a high priest? In God's original economy, you've got, you've got the person who, who receives his word and delivers it to the people. That person was the prophet. That prophet was an office. It was an anointed office. And then you've got the person that mediates between you and God. And that person is the priest, that you go to the priest with your sacrifice, and the priest mediates that sacrifice, and in a sense, takes that sacrifice before God. He stands before you to be able to represent you before God. That's what we have with Jesus. He's that high priest. But he's not some high priest you can just go to. Like you can just, you know, make an appointment and go, you know, drive over there and I'll knock on the door. Is Jesus in? Well, you know what? He stepped out for copy, but, he, but he's got to sign up. He, he'll be back in a couple, you know. No, he's in heaven. He has ascended to heaven. So right away in our time of need, in the garbage that we go through, when we read verse four or chapter four, verse 13, and we're going, uh, what do I do? We 
can go to heaven. We can go, we can just go right to our heavenly advocate, right to our high priest, the one who is representing us before God. Professor D. MGTEC said, high priest, the intercessor. Yes, Jesus is our high priest. Daniel says he's always there for us. He's always at God's right hand. That's right. We read he's, he's there and he sat down. He's in God's presence. Amen. He's ascended to heaven. He's the son of God. He was fully tempted, but also fully sinless. I like that. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize, empathize with our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way, but he did not sin. I like it when I've got, especially guys, they hear my story. And they, and especially when it comes to um, like, you know, hurts, habits, and hangups and habitual sins. And they hear my story and then I'm especially talking out of celebrate recoveries and they, they hear kind of my, my issue and how I, you know, what God has done in my life. And, and there's something about my story that's attractive to their story. And all of a sudden they see my scars and there have wounds and my, and, and my wounds are encouraging their scars. And they're like, yeah, I want to sit down with him and talk to him. There's something about that when you've struggled with something, when that's been part of your journey, when someone else sees that and it's part of their journey and they want to learn, they want to be guided, they want, there's something to be said about that. But I'm not their intercessor in the way that Jesus is there is our intercessor. He is sinless. I'm not. He is perfect. He was fully tempted and yet did not sin. He's the only one that qualifies to truly mediate between God and man. As we'll read about later on in Hebrews, that was the high priest's role. But the high priest had to start by giving his own sacrifices to deal with his own issues before he could even begin to do anything else. That's not Jesus. He doesn't have to do any of those things. So what's our responses? Number one, we hold firmly to the faith we possess, or profess, pardon me. We hold firmly to that. This is not something where when times get tough, we let it slip through our fingers because it's convenient. No, we hold on for dear life because that's all we have. Otherwise, our tension is going to kick our rears. Chapter 4, verse 13, we're going to be going, oh, no. God sees me. I'm toast. He sees the kind of hypocrite I am. He sees the life I've lived. He sees the words I say and the life I do. He sees that. Oh, my goodness. I'm toast. My only hope is if I can go to God. I mean, that was Job's hope. He kept saying, like, I just want to talk to my Redeemer. I just want to talk to God. Let me talk to God, and we'll talk this out. That's all I want an audience with God. Let me at him. Give me my shot. That was Job's story. And at the end, he wasn't even going to get it. And he's like, I know my Redeemer is going to stand on the earth. I know it. You know, and on that day, maybe I'll get to chat with him and find out why I had to live this life. I don't know. I am nothing without God. Daniel texted in without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit. It's merely due to their presence. I can reach anyone with the gospel. Amen. And I don't mean to make you feel small, but Daniel, that's all of our stories. So yes, it is your story too. Hold firmly to the faith we profess. Profess a second response, approaching with confidence. So I got to go to a Super Bowl party this uh, couple days ago. It was fun. And it was great to be over there. And the people at whose house we were at, 
they have dogs and big dogs. They're, they're good dogs. But one of the dogs I had not even met before. And, and I had met the boy. I had not met the, the girl dog. And so, but I was able to approach the dogs with some confidence, you know, because I'm not, I'm, my, my energy was, you know, it was kind of a calm energy. You kind of come up, you kind of give your hand to the dog, let them sniff you or whatnot. There's a way to approach a strange dog. Okay. Now, by the end of the night, and my kids were there too, and especially my daughter was just going crazy. It's like, oh my gosh, and she didn't want anything to do with these dogs. They were terrifying to her. You know, they were over her head, you know, kind of thing. And by the end of the night, she was approaching them and petting them all. You know, it was, it was a cute little thing. She just wasn't afraid anymore. And the dogs were really good dogs. They treated her very well. And it was, it was just a good experience with dogs. When you are well acquainted with a big dog, even a big scary dog, and that dog knows you, and you know that dog, you can just walk right up. Confidence. That dog's probably wagging the tail and going crazy. It's like, yeah, you can have confidence. That's just a silly dog story. You've got that with God. Even if you take God like uh, the, uh, the, the, the metaphor in Narnia, Aslan, you know, he's, it's like there's something about him. He's still a lion. <laughs> you just can't mess with him. But he's a good lion. He's not tame. He's not weak. But, you know, however, however C.S. Lewis puts it, usually Rachel corrects me on that. But, yeah, you can have confidence. Sick, broken, sinful you, me. Hypocrite us. Those of us who look at chapter 4, verse 13 and pull out our hair and go, oh, gosh, we can have confidence. That's the key. That's how this tension starts to get resolved. Well, thanks, Randy. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. Well done. That's what I needed. Our responses are to hold firmly to the faith we profess, to, to approach God with confidence, and, and to receive in time of need. Receive? Yeah. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And the image there is a tabernacle image. That throne is like the mercy seat of the, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, you see the picture of the Ark of the Covenant, you got the two like cherubim with their wings pointed towards each other. And there's a spot in the middle. That's like the throne area. That's the mercy seat area. That's the holiest part of the Holy of Holies right there. We get to approach that, you know, something you can't touch. We've all seen the Indiana, Indiana Jones thing and the melting faces. You can't touch that. We can approach that with confidence. The holiest part of the holiest part. We can approach that, that mercy seat with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Mercy is something you do not, get, not getting what you do deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. You don't ever deserve grace. And mercy is something that I'm not getting what I do deserve. I deserve death. I deserve punishment, but I've been receiving mercy instead. Receive in time of need. Expecting God to keep his word, to take me as I am, to deal with me as he has chosen to. And he's chosen to give you Jesus. He's chosen to save you. God's not willy-nilly about your salvation. So when we come to Jesus, we lean upon 
his righteousness. We don't lean upon ours. Why? Because he's our high priest. What are the qualifications of the high priest? Chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among the people. What he's saying there is he's human. Right? He's a guy. He's a dude. He's a, he's, a, he's a human being. He's selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. You might think of the high priest as like the first counselors, the first, you know, psycho person who's able to be more of like a like a psychologist or a psychiatrist someone who's able to explain things people might be coming and like i've got this animal i know i've sinned what do i do well here's what we do okay here, here, here's how the thing works let's explain everything and then can explain every part so you, it's kind of like if you attend a church that you don't usually attend and it's communion sunday and all of a sudden you know, the guys up there saying here's the bread here's the juice here's what we do Okay, it's like oh, so no one's no one's ignorant anymore. You're like, oh, okay, now 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 I see what people are doing. Now 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 I understand what we're gonna do next. Okay, good, we're good. I understand everything. That's what the priest would do, to be able to teach people and to let them know and explain things. And if you're ignorant or you don't understand, he's gonna be gentle with you because you're there for a reason. So, to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weaknesses. The high priest knows all about going astray. He himself has at times gone astray. That's why we are all care pastors. That's why we are all we all have those wounds, and we all they turn into scars, and that scar teaches a, someone else's wound because we've been there. We get to care for people. Okay, I missed one here. I got to go up one second. Still, okay, Sandy texts in, still humbling that our intercessor high priest is the one who paid the price for our sins. It's a fabulous point, and we're going to get there towards the end. And that, that's exactly the point about Jesus. He looks upon us in nothing but love. And amen. And Daniel texts in, God is loving and understanding. He is slow to anger. Amen. I'm so glad that that's God's character. Verse 3, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when it's called by God, just as Aaron was. So just as we saw in the judges stories that we were in, when, when, when that one guy was telling this Levite coming around, hey, be my priest, and the guy's like, I'll be the priest. Yeah. No, no, no. You don't get to take that upon yourself. This is something you're even you're either declared priest and installed by God himself or not. You just don't get to claim this for yourself. So we have these ideas of, I can read them up, uh, human, you got to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. You got to feel your own weakness regarding your sins and appointed by God. Those are the four qualifications, essentially, in chapter five, one to four. So now we get to Jesus, because the author of Hebrews has been building us to this moment, okay? Because he's already been saying Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Joshua. What's left? No. The priests. Who is he? Is he greater than priests? Is he greater than, I don't know, Aaron? 
Spoiler alert, yes. How do I know that? Well, these next couple of verses, let's read. Five, five to 10. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, this is Psalm 2. Excuse me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, this is Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Aaron. What? No, not Aaron. Melchizedek. Now, the, Melch the Melchizedek story, we'll encounter that later on in Hebrews. But just know this. It ain't Aaron. To be a, to be a priest... You had to be a Levite, but not just a Levite. You had to be from a certain clan of the Levites. And there were three main clans. And one clan tended to the outer stuff of the tabernacle. The other clan tended to some other parts of the tabernacle, like you know, the fencing, that kind of stuff. And the third one got to tend to the inner stuff, like the, 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 the showbread tables and the Ark of the Cut, all that stuff. But of that clan that tended to the inner stuff, only the sons of Aaron got to be priests. And only immediate sons of Aaron got to be high priests. Every high priest had to be a son of Aaron, specifically. So for, for God here, the Holy Spirit, to take pains to apply Psalm 110 here, he's saying Jesus is of high priestly stock that is different than Aaron. Aaron was the greatest of the human priests and everyone coming from him. But there's something different, something greater. Ooh, Sandy with a mic drop. Son of God, Trump, son of Aaron. Yes, beautiful. That is exactly right. Here he is. You are priests forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse seven, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So, what he is to do, how he is to be, why he has to follow directions and how he gets hired. Yeah, that's that's the qualification. So now Jesus, how did he get hired? You see, we start with number four of the four qualifications that I gave. That he has to be human. He has to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He has to feel his own weaknesses regarding sin. And he has to be appointed by God. The author of Hebrews tackles number four, appointed by God first, doesn't he? He goes right to that. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him this. God proclaimed it. So that takes care of it right away. One qualification met. The fourth one, not the first one, the fourth one. What about number two and number one? What's number two? He offers gifts and sacrifices for sin. Well, that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. That's who Jesus is. We've already covered this in chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he, as in Jesus, had to be made like them fully human. Oh, that's number one. He has to be human, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's the whole point. Jesus, fully human, is still fully God. 
and able to truly make that atonement. So number two and number one of those four qualifications are already met. So the author of Hebrews is saying, wait a minute, how he got hired, what did he accomplish, what he did, what he accomplished? Yes, all those things. He's already met qualifications one, two, and four. What's remaining? Oh, that pesky number three. What was number three again? He feels his own weakness regarding sin. Now, in the high priest sense, in the human high priest of the first four verses of chapter five, it's Aaron and those coming from Aaron. And you, you read the text of the Day of Atonement. He's got to sacrifice a bull to cover his own butt before he begins to administer to everybody else. Because he himself is a sinner. Every pastor is a sinner. Someone who has and probably continues to sin. Just because we're up there doesn't mean we're perfect. We sin too, and we struggle, and we have to confess. I got to tell you, I was a bonehead tonight. I was just in a rotten mood. It was one of those days where I had the rotten mood Olympics, full gold medals, okay? And I snapped at my wife, and I snapped at both kids right before dinner. And it's just right, right before this class. Why do I have these moments right before I teach the class? It's killing me, Smalls. What is my deal? And I just was, oh, it got to the point where, you know, I was like Alexander, the terrible, no, horrible, no good, very bad day or some point where I'm outside in the freezing cold, bringing in groceries that my wife is so sweet to go get and even had the kids with them, with her. So I was able to do some final work on this text. Yada, yada, yada. I go outside helping and I'm dropping things. And I hit the snow and they just skitter. And I'm now on my face uh, trying to reach underneath the car to get this box of cake mix or something that has skittered over there and I'm just grumbling and mad and, and and I have to come in and I finally it hits me I am the yeah but tonight remember the yeah but the one that knows better but says but what was my but my yeah but was I've had a rotten day my yeah but was oh they were all mean to me and they said some things and so I was justified to come up with whatever crap I was going to do baloney as I'm laying there on my face, eating some snow, reaching for a box of yellow cake mix that has slid just out of my reach underneath my SUV in this cold freaking weather, it hit me. I'm the yeah, bud. Once again, that stinking yeah, bud. So I'm sitting at the table tonight, wolfing down my food with record speed, getting asparagus caught between my teeth. I got to look at my kids. I got to look at my wife and say, daddy was an angry monster tonight who reacted the way he should not have acted. I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? It's the most humbling thing in the world when your four-year-old says, I forgive you, daddy. And when your eight-year-old says, I forgive you, daddy. There's nothing more humbling than that. Some of you heard that before with me. Hello. Big guy with the beard, haven't you learned that lesson? We're always having to deal with our own sins. You are too. You're not perfect. You have to go to your high priest, God, Jesus. You have to go to him and say, intercede for me, Lord. Because I'm going to have to give an account for that. And I sure as heck when I have to give an account with that sin already taken care of. Not hidden out in the open. Yeah, God is 
Okay, the only person who walked this earth and never sinned was Jesus, He that he was tempted to sin by Satan himself. Yeah, and where he's going to be tempted to sin tonight in our text is going to be more of, a, of Golgotha or more of a, um, um, Gethsemane. We're going to be in the garden. That's where the, the context here is in the garden. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wrestle with that for just, just a moment here. Uh, God just reminding you, thanks Sandy, that he, that you need a high priest too. Amen. If you are the, yeah, bud, I've been flipping between weary and clay over the last couple of days. I'm sorry, Dan, I'm sorry. Um, that's, that's, yeah, we're there. That's why Hebrews means so much to us because we are those three students. We are the, yeah, bud. We are the weary ones and we are the clay. And we, we, we wrestle with those and we go back and forth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, what do we do? What do we do with this number three? Feels his own weakness with sin. Um, so verse seven and eight, during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions and fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Boom. Where, where did he do that? Where in all of gospel history did Jesus do that? When was he ever wanting to be saved from death? In fact, if you read, let's just read it. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. That word means oil press. It was the Mount of Olives, where you have olives everywhere. What do olives do? They don't go on your pizza. They become olive oil. Ah, how do you get the olive oil? We've all seen the Isle of Lucy episode where they're stomping grapes. You got to put the oil, the olives in the press and press it down. It's the greatest image in all of scripture. That was the image that Jesus had as he went to the oil press garden. He got pressed. It was the hardest moment in Jesus's life. And it was foreshadowing of a moment that was going to be even harder. Gethsemane, Jesus saw the cross. He saw what was expected of him. And he got so wrapped up in that, he had to literally call to his boys and go, can you pray for me? It's like the only time in scripture where we see Jesus as weak and in need of a care pastor, in need of somebody to come along and just be there with him. He's got his guys and they keep falling asleep. He's like, come on. I'm literally sweating drops of blood. The heck, what? Come on. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. If you've ever been depressed, if your anxiety is so much you can't move on, know that Jesus was there. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Oh, I've been there. Have you? You're like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. This darkness I'm in, I just, I, I just hate life. I love you, Jesus, but I just hate life. When you're a walking, yeah, but when it comes to your own ick, yeah, yeah. Stay here and keep watch with me. We want to throw ourselves in that story and go, hell, heck yeah. Come on, Peter. Where is the firebrand Peter that we love? The one who's like, I ain't ever going to deny you. I'll go right to death with you. What are you talking about? We, we want the Chuck Norris Peter right now. Right now is when Jesus needs that Peter. Where is that Peter? Sleeping. 
Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? He asked that to Peter. Like, huh, sucker? You can't even keep watch? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Why would he say that to Peter if he himself wasn't worried about falling into temptation? Boom. That's exactly what the author of Hebrews is talking about. Here's why this is hard. Could Jesus, a sinless son of God, sin? The obvious theological answer is, well, no. He's the son of God. Yeah, but he's been tempted in every way. Yeah, but, but he was sinless. The answer comes down to, we don't know. All we do know is, he didn't sin. Was this going to be as close as it was going to get for Jesus? Was this going to be that dark hour of the soul? Where this is it? The great put up or shut off. Would Jesus have the, the Joel line? Would Jesus have the faith with teeth? Would this be a Jesus with the faith of a teeth moment? Is this it, Lord? Or are you just going to just, uh, what's going to happen here? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Dang. Jesus can only say that because he knows it. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Oh, my goodness. So he's in the oil press. He's, press. he's in a place of crushing. He's in this great moment. Okay, so what does what, what the author of Hebrews say here? Okay. Um, during the verse seven and eight, he's in Gethsemane. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions, but fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Yes. And in fact, I believe Luke says that in the midst of those prayers, that, that God literally sent an angel to Jesus to minister to him. I think in Luke's gospel, he brings that out. All right. Luke brings out the tears of uh, the, 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 the sweat, like drops of blood. Okay. Like the, uh, the capillaries and the, and the, 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 the oil ducts are bursting and he's, he's literally dripping. Okay. So, so Luke, the physician brings up stuff like that, but Luke, the historian brought up the fact that yeah, God answered his prayer and gave him an angel for a moment there. We get that right here. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. What in the world is that? Jesus learned obedience? Yes! And here's how. Jesus always obeyed God. Obedience seemed easy, right? Yeah. It was easy for Jesus to obey God. He was the son of God. We get the impression as you read the Gospels, Leading up to this moment, that obeying God, he was like, oh, yeah, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let's rock. Let's go. No problem. But here in the oil press, it got real, didn't it? All of a sudden, Jesus realizes that, well, yeah, I want to obey God. I'm always going to obey God. But this is no longer a happy obedience. This is no longer an easy obedience. This is... If I obey, life is actually going to get worse. Put yourself in those shoes for one second. Are you hopping on board? Knowing full well that if you make the right decision, your life is guaranteed to get worse. There ain't nothing harder than that. When you've got people in your life speaking God's word to you and saying, you know what? You got tough choices to make. 
and it's going to be hard, but it's what must be done. Nothing's harder than that. Yes, he was modeling obedience. Yes, I, mean, there, there, I, I appreciate the words here. Yes, he was getting to the point where thy will be done, but thy will be done. Don't just take that and go, oh, that was a Jesus moment. Oh, look at Jesus. Look at what he said. And that is just so good of you, Jesus. And you know, you're God. You can say that. Don't take that tension from Jesus. Put that tension where it belongs. For Jesus to say, yes, dad, he knows his life's going to get harder. He's wrestling with it. There's tension in that garden. He's being pressed like those olives. Darkest moment of his soul. If he could have a dark moment of his soul, that's it. He's seeing what's going to come on the cross the next, the next day. He's going to be seeing that moment when him and God, the Father, are going to be like this. For the first time in history, we're talking all of history, Father, Son, Holy Spirit history, he's, the Father is going to turn his back on him because of idiots like me and my sin and you and your sin. He's going to take that upon himself, something he doesn't deserve, just to give us what we don't deserve, mercy, grace. Verse 9 and 10, and once being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we go from the Garden of Gethsemane, we go to the cross, and here he is. Just as was mentioned earlier, he is both the high priest who offers a sacrifice, and he's the sacrifice that is offered. Salvation. Mic drop. He's not only the one administering the sacrifice. He, he is the sacrifice. That's the message of Hebrews. This is going to be repeated over and over and over again. Jesus. How do we resolve this tension? Well, Let's go to 5, 11 to 14. How do you respond to this? We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Shame on you. How could you read her? How could you no longer try to understand? In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. That's what Paul likes to talk about in Corinthians. It's words like this that cause people to go, yeah, this is written by Paul. This has to be written by Paul. Well, it doesn't have to be written by Paul, but this guy knows Paul. He's heard of Paul. He knows the kind of things Paul says. He says stuff like this. In fact, though by this time you have to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So their minds have checked out. Take stock. I used to work at Target. And Target has a great system. It's computerized. Every time something is bought, it triggers something in the network there. 
where the computer automatically orders another one. It knows exactly what's on every shelf, no matter what. It's a brilliant system. As someone who was stocking the shelves, that kind of was a pain, but I could always be able to tell, hey, do you have any more in the back? We actually don't have any more in the back. I know exactly where everything is here. Okay, that was really nice. Um, it, was, it was a pain as a person stocking sometimes, but yeah, it's like their minds have checked out. What is on the, what is on the, the, take stock of your own life, that your own shelves, as it were. Take stock. What's there? Has your mind checked out? Like theirs is. Well, it's going to, you have to keep teaching me. I'm just not getting it. Why? Why are you still with the milk when you ought to be having the level two, three, four, five, six foods? You haven't, you know, you, you go to the baby aisle sometime and look at all the numbers on the foods. Eventually they stop numbering them and it's, 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 it's food. Okay. It's like, okay, you could eat it if you wanted to. It's like, it's actually food. Okay. It's not like some kind of paste or, you know, it's like, it's actually something you could chew. It's like, okay. Is that you? See their minds. And so they stop growing. There's a point where you're just like, wait a minute. If you're going to be mature you by constant use, you're training yourself to distinguish good from evil. That's where I was at in the snow tonight. I, I recognized right away as my face was in that snow, I'm the yeah, but today was a yeah, but day. Shame on me. Let's get on it. You see Jesus in the garden. Um, well, he didn't sin. And he didn't sin. But what did he take upon himself? He was dealing with the effects of sin. He was dealing with the fact that he was going to be dealing with my sin. So he was feeling the shame. He was feeling the rejection. He was feeling all that comes with that sin. It just wasn't his sin. All the things that you feel and your sin cycles where you're tempted and you fall and now you hate yourself and now you loathe your life and now you're oh, I'm down here now and eventually you get back up here again and you do it again. He was going through that, but it just wasn't his sin. So the author of Hebrews here is not wrong. When he says he's gone through this stuff. He's dealt with sin. He was tempted. He's still able to be our intercessor. He just hasn't sinned. But he's dealt with our sin. All the stuff that you deal with in your sin. He just, doesn't, he just didn't deal with the guilt of the sin that you deal with. Because he wasn't guilty but he dealt with the effects of the guilt. He dealt with the shame that guilt brings. He's there wrestling with the fact that his dad's going to turn his back on him for the first time in all of human existence, all of eternally. He's dealing with it. There's the shame built in there, but it's just not his shame. It's just shame that comes from sin, but it's not his sin. You see the tension there. Jesus went through all that for you. That's how he can be our high priest. So the tension to be resolved here, there's things you got to know. There's things you got to be, and there's things you got to do. What you need to know, you can always come to Jesus. I'm so dirty. He was dirty in that garden. It just wasn't his dirt, but he was dirty. If his soul could have gotten dirty with all that muck and that ick, it was there. It just wasn't his. He's not dirty in the way that you're dirty. He's not stained in the way that you're stained. But he was still took that upon himself. Who else could you go to but Jesus? 
That seems you gotta be. You gotta be diligent. You gotta be training. You can't stop growing. And you're doing a good job by coming to a class like this, by attending a church, by, good job. There's a lot you're doing right. Good job, stay, stay on it. Stay on the horse, keep riding. But don't let your minds check out. Continue to be submissive to God. If Jesus can be submissive to God, you can be submissive to God. If Jesus can be paying attention, if Jesus can, if Jesus was willing to wrestle with sin, are you? It wasn't even his own sin. If there ever was a holy yeah but moment, it was Jesus. He could have yeah butted in the garden. And it wouldn't have been a bad yeah but. He could have been, well, God, this ain't my sin. Hey, Father, you know this cup you're asking me to drink? I'm just saying, God, if there ever was a godly I'm just saying moment, that would have been it. But he didn't yeah, but did he? That teaches us something. He was willing to embrace a personal hell for the sake of you and me. And it wasn't even his sin. Jesus is of a different cup than Aaron. He is greater than Aaron. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all the prophets. He is of an order that is decreed by God, Melchizedek. We're going to learn more about him a little bit later. Matthew 5, or excuse me, Matthew 5. Hebrews 5. When you think about it, this is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible because of what Jesus had to go through. He's our high priest. Don't give up. Approach him with confidence and receive in time of need. We'll see you next week. God bless.